0: Well if the Apostles Creed, which we're looking at now and have been for a few weeks here fit, if, if it gives us the very core of, of Christianity, then today we're we're looking at the very center of that core um, and 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 what stands at the center is the, the cross and the empty tomb and and so last week we had Christmas in September this week it's Good Friday, next week it's Easter and so we're a little confused right now but As we walk through this creed, it's interesting that the creed, the Apostles' Creed, this uh, 1,600-year-old confession of faith that the church has 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 been remembering and reciting together for centuries, that the creed goes from conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, directly to suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and buried. Isn't that interesting? That's a big leap. That skips a lot of Jesus' life. Um, it, it doesn't mention his teachings, his miracles, the calling of the disciples, and many, many other things. And, and it's not because those things are unimportant, but it's, it's that those things are not of ultimate importance. And the creed is dealing with in, in and giving us in summary form what is ultimately important. This is the very core of Christianity, and it takes us right to the central act of Jesus' life, and His mission, and who He is, and why He came. And it's this, it's the atoning work that He accomplished on the cross. And today, we come to that place in the Creed. And so it's not just the Apostles' Creed, but it's the Gospel accounts themselves. As you you read through the Gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, you have... The, the bulk of these books are devoted to the very last week of Jesus' life on earth. And so about a third of the synoptic gospels, Matthew Gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're devoted to that last week. About half of the Gospel of John is. That's very significant. It's like the gospel writers are hurrying as fast as they can to get to Calvary, to get to the cross. And so the Apostles' Creed it hurries to get us there as well, and I want us to hurry there this morning also. And so, remember we've said this several times, we've said it at the beginning and we've repeated it, the Apostles' Creed, but if you're just joining us here, the Apostles' Creed is kind of like this zoomed out map that gives us the the basic big picture of what Christians believe. And so if you picture the United States and you, and you want to make a, a journey across the United States, the first thing you do is you chart that, chart your your course and you see where the interstates go and you see kind of the, the big layout of the terrain. That's what the Apostles' Creed does for us. It's showing us that zoomed out uh, view of the actual terrain of the Bible and what the Bible teaches. And so but each week we're moving back and forth between the terrain and between the map. Uh, the Apostles' Creed. And so this is what we'll do today. And so the part of the, the map that we're looking at today is again the fact that Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And so with that map view, let's now look at the terrain together. And we're going to do so by looking in, in the Gospel of John and chapter 18. We'll turn there in just a moment. But what we're, what we're considering today is that Jesus is, is the sufferer and the sacrifice for us. For our sins. He's the sufferer and He's the sacrifice. As we, as we see the sufferings and sacrifice of Jesus here in the Gospels, we, we see what our sins have done. We see what sin has done. And so we've got to see that. But we also see the, the completeness of God's solution for our sins. So first we're going to simply look at the facts of, of Jesus' suffering and sacrifice. And then we're going, to, we're going to sit under those facts and let them, let them affect us and let them sit on top of us. Uh, the fact that Jesus is the sufferer and the sacrifice of our sins. And so we're going to look at the biblical terrain for a, for a little while regarding the Lord and His sufferings. And then we're, we're going to move. We want to be moved and directed by it. We want to get ground level and be steered by it. We want so that our trust is in this lord who suffered and was sacrificed for our sins and so that's what our plan is for this morning before we come to the table so i'd need everybody with open bibles or sitting next to somebody with an open bible we're going to read a lot more of uh the text than i would normally do in a single sermon and so we're going to be covering a lot of ground john chapter 18 we're going to start reading in verse 28 and so here's here's the the kind of the short version of giving, setting the context here. So Jesus has been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested by soldiers. He's been abandoned by his disciples. He, he's been roughed up by the Jewish authorities. Uh, he's been denied by Peter. And now he's been led to Pilate. And so that's, that's where we're at. And so you're going to see very quickly, as this scene unfolds, that there is no love lost between the Jewish leaders, and Pontius Pilate, um, this, this Roman governor. And so there's this long backstory, and we do not have time to unpack it right now. But just trust me, there is this mutual disdain and distrust that exists between uh, Pilate and the Jewish leaders. They basically hate each other's guts. And, and for good reason. I mean, Pilate has treated the Jews like dirt. And, and, and yet the Jewish leaders, they've learned how to toy with and to manipulate and to agitate uh, Pontius Pilate. And so Pilate's already on very thin ice with Rome because of some things that have happened on his watch. And, and so these Jewish leaders, they, they, they know they can make Pilate look really bad with Rome if they want to. And so they hold that over his head. And so you just keep that in mind as we begin to walk through this passage together. So verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas, who was the high priest. So first he's there with these Jewish leaders, this Jewish council. They led him from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil... We would not have delivered him over to you. We wouldn't waste our time. It's more valuable than that. Pilate said to them, "Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law." I mean, you can again, you can see the tension here between these groups. Pilate's annoyed. He's irritated that they've come to him at this early hour, and here they're bringing this Jewish guy about this Jewish manner and this dispute over some heat point of Hebrew theology. And he doesn't want anything to do with this. You guys deal with him. And so the Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Okay. So this is serious. This isn't just a theological debate. This was to fulfill, verse 32, the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. And so we're going to see throughout this account as we read through it, there are these dual realities that sinful man scheming and plotting and, 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 and coming at Jesus and persecuting him and yet also God's sovereign purposes being accomplished. And those two, uh, those two are not in conflict in God's design. That God economizes the evil intentions of 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 man's heart to accomplish his will for jesus as our sufferer and savior sacrifice for our sins. so crucifixion is the primary form of roman execution and according to scripture jesus is to die by bearing the curse hanging on a tree and so this is this is what's happening there are these dual realities at work throughout this text so verse 33 So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Essentially saying, Why do I care what the Jews are doing? I'm not a Jew. I don't care who the king of the Jews is. No, your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And then Jesus gives this somewhat cryptic answer to that question. Verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So Jesus isn't saying his kingdom, his dominion, his, his realm of authority. It's, it doesn't include this world. Like it's just kind of this ethereal, transcendent, never, never land that he, he rules over. That's not what he's saying at all. He's, he's going to be the one who will say, no, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. He has all authority. What he's saying here is simply that this, his kingdom is not like Rome's kingdom. It's not, it's not won by, with, with, with swords the way that they do. It's not defended in that way. Yes, I am a king, but you need to understand what I mean by king and kingdom. So Pilate hears all this business about king, kingdom. And so verse 37, so you are a king. <laughs> and Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Okay, you said it with your own mouth. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice Pilate said to him what is truth now I don't think that Pilate is just like suddenly breaking into this philosophical um, discussion thinking here's a Jewish rabbi this question has been burning on my mind what is truth And inform me Rabbi Jesus that's not it at all because we, we know the, the very next thing he does is he gets up and leaves. He has no interest in talking to Jesus about this. He, this is a cynical response. This is like, what's truth? Give me a break. Verse 38 again, and after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt with him. He, again, he's wanting to wash his hands of this. And he goes on, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, no, not this man, but Barabbas. The text says, now Barabbas was a robber. Now, we, we can put all four gospel accounts together, and we're not going to look at all of those and lay them side by side, but we get a, a more complete rap sheet of Barabbas when you do that. He was, he was a robber, he was a murderer, he was uh, seditious, he, tried to, uh, he rebelled against Rome, and so he's essentially this high-profile terrorist. And so when given the choice between this notorious terrorist and Jesus their their hatred for Christ is so great that they demand the release of Barabbas verse 1 chapter 19 then pilate took jesus and flogged him so he, to to satisfy the the bloodlust of this angry crowd maybe 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 this will appease them maybe then they'll be okay with him letting Jesus go, he finds no fault in him, and he's ready to wash his hands of this matter, so they think, maybe if I rough him up enough, then they'll be okay, and they'll, they'll move on. And so, the, and, and it goes on, verse 2, "...and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And struck him with their hands." This is an awful scene, isn't it? I mean, these soldiers, they're, they're making sport of Jesus playing dress-up with our Lord. And and it's all for the amusement of these soldiers. And and then they take turns punching and slapping Jesus in this condition. And so it's in this this ridiculous, blood-soaked costume that Pilate once again drags Jesus before this angry religious mob. Verse 4. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Behold the man. Look at him. I mean, there's there's such thick irony that runs throughout this whole scene. And this is one... One little evidence of that here. I mean, this, is, this one who's standing here dressed up in this costume uh, to look like a fool is, noth- is, is nothing less, not only than the incarnation of God, but the incarnation of perfect man. This is humanity as he ought to be. This is the second Adam. And, and, and so when Pilate says, Behold the man, he doesn't have a clue how true that statement is. This is, this is the man. And yet when the chief priests and officers saw him, when they beheld him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! They did behold him, and they hated him. Hated him. They screamed for his death. I, I know that you've probably witnessed this firsthand, and certainly you've seen video of just... Just uh, an angry mob, violent mob. And you've seen footage going back in the history of this country, and and just this angry and angered hatred and, and racism, and, <clears throat> and you see it on their face, and you hear it in their voice, and just every muscle stretched. I mean, that's the scene. This this just this seething hatred of Jesus. Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, "And again, these are the religious leaders of the nation. This is not some fringe group. This is this would be like the the ministerial alliance of Fayette County coming together and in, in forming a mob like this. This is supposed to be the the religious, the good, the moral, the upstanding, the influential ones, the backbone of." society I'm not saying you would say that's the truth of Fayette County Ministerial Alliance I don't know but but this is this is this is a, this is the religious epicenter and this is how they're seeing this what they're saying of Jesus Pilate said to them take him yourselves and crucify him for I find no guilt in him you see over and over there's this indirect affirmation of the sinlessness of Christ coming out of Pilate's mouth I'm not saying He understands the full import of his words but it's his witness to Jesus' guiltlessness so Pilate knows he knows they don't have the authority to crucify Jesus, they can't do that because of the laws but he's so flustered, he's so frustrated by this mob that they won't give in to what he thinks needs to be done, and so he says alright, you can do it, because I'm not going to do it I can't find anything wrong with this man in verse 7, the Jews answered him, We have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Now, this is the issue. This explains their hatred. And then there's a strange statement from John. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. So remember, Pilate's just spent this time alone with Jesus. And he has, in all of his years as governor, he has never, ever met a prisoner like him. Never had anybody in front of him like Jesus. And now Jesus' enemies are saying, he calls himself the Son of God. He's starting to get nervous. In Matthew 27, we, we find that uh, Pilate's wife has this... Uh, this strange she's been having these strange dreams and she comes to her husband and says don't have anything to do with this Jesus there's something, something different about this one and so this is, this is part of what's behind this and, and so he runs back in and the first, in, first question he asked Jesus is what verse 9 he entered the headquarters again and said to Jesus where are you from basically really who are you but Jesus, the text says, Jesus gave him no answer. Like a lamb before shears, is silent. So he uttered, he opened not his mouth. Verse 10, so Pilate said to him, you will, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all. Unless it had been given you from above. So he's saying, "You're Pilate. You're simply the public face. You're an actor in this drama of redemption." It's as if Jesus is saying to Pilate, "This, Pilate, this isn't about you. It's not about your skin. You saving your skin. It's not about your status. It's not about your reputation with Rome. It's not about it's not about your peace with the Jewish citizenry. That's not it. This is about God." And you have, you have zero power over me unless my Father gives it to you. It goes on. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Now, he's not saying to Pilate because you're this actor in the drama of redemption, you're innocent in this. That's not it. And he's not saying here that, okay, you're, you're not that great of a sinner. No, he's a sinner. He's doing this volitionally. He's, 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 this is a travesty of justice humanly speaking, but what he's doing is wrong. He's fully complicit, but, but it's not as wrong as those who've delivered Jesus over to Pilate. In verse 12, from then on, Pilate sought to release him. This is his one goal from that point forward. I want to release Jesus. But the Jews cried out, and the, the grammar here is, is over and over there. This is this building refrain. There's, it's, this, again, you can just see this louder voice, bigger mob crying out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Now you hear that and you think, oh, that's like an Instagram, you know, we're not friends anymore or something. This is not that. It's not, we're no longer BFFs. A friend of Caesar, it's a, it's a technical expression and one that was well known. The, the, the Jewish mob, the leaders here, they know exactly what they're doing when they say this. They're pulling out their ace of spades here. To, to be Caesar's friend meant you had to have some certain level of status in the empire. To, 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 it spoke of loyalty to the emperor. It was, it, you were like on the inner, in the inner circle uh, with him. And, and as I said earlier, Pilate's already on very thin ice. Uh, because of, of 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 some problems that have been happening in his in his jurisdiction, and and so he's he's being trying to be very careful. And they're saying to Pilate, "Unless you do what we want you to do, you're toast. We will we will tattle on you." And then he, and then they go on. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So he's saying, "If you let this guy who claims to be a king go." then you'll be complicit in his insurrection. And we will go to Rome about this. And so Pilate's on the horns of this dilemma here. He, he can do what he knows is, own, is right, and, or he can save his own skin. And So the Jewish leaders, they know Pilate's weakness and his fear, and they exploit it. They play him like a professional's. They, they They got him. Verse 13, So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and in an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour and he said to the Jews, no, not behold the man, but now behold your king. Behold your king. And the mob screamed back at him, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest answered, Just, let me say that again. The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. I mean, this is the ultimate betrayal of the Jews right here. This is rep- represented by their leaders. We, we don't have any king here except Caesar. Talk about blasphemy. That from the lips of God's chosen people. For the Lord is a great king and a great king above all gods. We have no king but Caesar. Verse 16, so he delivered him over to them to be crucified. And they led him out of the city. They led him to the place of the curse. They led at the hands of the Gentiles. Jesus would suffer, as the writer of Hebrews says, outside the gates and be put to death. I mean, just pause here. Just note the willingness of Jesus here. He is he is willing, even in the creed. So go back to the map for a second, and let's look. Take our eyes off the the terrain, and let's look at the map. And the, and the wording, the, the, the grammar of the Apostles' Creed draws this out. The condescension of, of Jesus. And, and so, and he says, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. That's not just talking about past tense. It is saying that, but there's more. It's using the passive voice. This is speaking of his condescension, the passive voice for, I know all of you who aren't grammar nuts, but it's, it's, it's the subject being acted upon by the verb. And so it's, he, he was conceived, he was crucified, he was buried, he suffered under, and so these are things done to him or for him. And then it changes in the very next phrase He descended into hell. That's active voice. This is the subject performing the action of the verb. He descended into hell the third day. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty, from whence He shall come to judge the living and the dead. So you, you see the change, even in the grammar of the creed. Those are things He's doing. And so Jesus as the eternal God, the Son of God, the second person of the triune God, He's willing to be acted upon he's voluntarily uh, 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 being the subject of the verb what love what condescension I don't mean that he's helpless in this passive sense but I mean he is willingly so he's not kicking and screaming he is relatively silent he is submissive he was a willing sufferer a willing sacrifice Jesus It is willingly, volitionally, continually submitting himself to his Father's will out of love, abundant love for you and me, brothers and sisters. Now let's see, quickly, let's see our Lord walk these final steps on the road to Calvary. Verse 17, so they took Jesus and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha there they crucified him and with him two others one on either side and Jesus between them now none of the gospel writers really describe the horrific details of crucifixion um, in part because the first readers they didn't need to be told they saw this all the time so they knew what it involved and in part because the physical agony is not the main point it's not it's not the focus of the cross the physical pain was unbelievably intense but but the, the greatest the, the great thing about the cross, it's not that Jesus' physical death was worse than any other physical death that's ever happened. That's not the point. But but what the, the deeper, more intense part of the cross is that he is the object of the Father's wrath. And so if you blink, you almost miss the actual moment of crucifixion. Say crucified him. Verse 19. Pilate also wrote an inscription in put it on the cross now that was very common practice they did this for everybody who was crucified they'd put a placard over it kind of outlining what they were accused of what their crimes were and it was just it was just deterrent see what happens if you break the law and people would walk by and see this and so what's the inscription above jesus it read jesus of nazareth the king of the jews so by saying it that way, in part, he, he's justifying Jesus' death, even though he knows he's done nothing wrong, he doesn't believe this man is guilty, but he has to justify crucifying this innocent man. And so, so he, he puts this up there saying he's this self-proclaimed rival king to Caesar, and he's being killed for it. But probably his main goal here is to insult and embarrass the Jewish leaders. And so verse 20, and it works. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. People coming and going. It's Passover. And it was written in Aramaic and Latin and in Greek. Everybody could read it. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews. But rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Now, by this time, Pilate is done. He has had it with him. And he's tired of being pushed around and played by them. And so he answers, What I have written, I have written. Or, in other words, buzz off. And, and, and this is another one of those glorious ironies. What, what Pilate meant for evil, God meant for good. For Jesus really was the promised king of the Jews. We saw this last week out of the mouth of, the mouth of Gabriel. He announced to Mary that Jesus will be one who's king, he's the son of David, he's going to rule, he's going to reign. Well, oh, clearly, again, God is orchestrating all of this. Verse 23, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. <coughs> the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. And this was to fulfill the Scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. Now, again, I think of Jesus on that cross watching these things transpire. As, as, as the second person of the Godhead, this is, this is the very thing He intended to happen. He wrote this. The plan is being accomplished. All is being fulfilled according to plan. Was there a slight tinge of satisfaction in the midst of His agony hanging on that cross? God's plan is being executed perfectly. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sk- skip down here. There's this moment where Jesus cares for his mother, verses 25 to 27. Uh, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said, to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. And there's, he's held out his jar with his wine and a sponge. And when Jesus, verse 30, received the sour wine, he said, it is finished it is finished it, i have paid it all it's done i drank the cup of wrath to the dregs i've done it all there's nothing left to do and then the text says he bowed his head and gave up his spirit he said he said before no one takes my life i lay it down of my own accord and this is exactly what he did. When the mission is fully accomplished, it is finished. He he. When atonement has been made, Jesus gives up his spirit. And then in verse thirty-one to thirty-four, there there's there's this there's this uh, very clear. Account of the what what the effort they went to to make sure that he was dead and and this fulfillment of prophecy that 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 um, no none of his bones would be broken and yet his side would be pierced and we I'm just having to skip this for the sake of time but but again it's fulfilling prophecy down to the letter and <coughs> and then and, and so we get we get here and we say what do we see we believe Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified. He was really dead. And they made sure of it. And he was buried. He was buried. And the truth of Jesus' burial is important. It's all four gospel accounts give great detail about his burial. And so let's... I mean, mean, you see the Apostle Paul even. In 1 Corinthians 15 when he's saying, This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he, he he, he, he was buried... According to the scriptures, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. So he says, this is of first importance. So the burial, it's it's essential. And this is why it's in the the creed. This is why the scriptures make so much of this. He, He really died. He was really buried. And so John gives us this account. He tells us about Joseph of Arimathea who steps forward and uh, Joseph was a member of that religious count, the same religious council that, that pushed to have Jesus arrested and crucified he's part of that group, but what we learn here is he's also he's, he's become a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in Jesus Christ. and we don 't know his whole testimony one day we 'll find out, but he 's a disciple in secret. The text says and so verse thirty eight after these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus. But secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. So he, he comes out of hiding, identifies with Jesus, and he's helped by another secret disciple, Nicodemus. And so Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes and about 75 pounds in weight, So they they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. This was his tomb, Joseph's tomb. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now I realize up to this point, all I've basically done is given you a running commentary of the text that is not preaching brothers and sisters please don't let me start doing this often uh, I don't want other people that preach in this pulpit to think that that is what the sum total of preaching is I do think there is beauty and depth to seeing this terrain up close and it was good. it's been good for my own soul and, and I wanted us to walk through it today but now just for a couple minutes before we come to the table I just want us to sit under this for a moment, we've looked at it let's just, let's just let it sit upon us for a moment Two statements, and then we'll eat and drink together. One, Jesus' suffering and sacrifice is for us. It is for us. And the creed drives us it, it drives the home the reality of it. And that that's even why Pilate's name. You think, why is Pontius Pilate named in the Creed? I mean there are other people involved in his death. Why is his name? It's just saying this is this is this actually happened. This was in, this would be like saying someone was executed while uh, Brian Kemp was governor of Georgia. It was in it's during that time period. No the, the, the facts of Jesus' death and crucifixion, his life, death, crucifixion. Nobody contests these things. No honest historian would ever contest this. It's 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 attested to outside of biblical literature uh, in, in countless ways. And so that's not an issue. And this is what the creed is driving at. And so it's real. But many throughout history have tried to downplay or deny this truth. That particularly Jesus' death. Muslims, they, they, they profess great respect for Jesus as a prophet. but They insist he was not crucified or killed. He couldn't be. And so in the Quran, we read that instead of dying on the cross, Jesus was, Jesus was represented by one in his likeness. So in a sense, somebody died as a substitute for Jesus. But the creed and the scriptures are emphatic. No, Jesus, your Savior, was crucified, dead, and buried. He really died. He was really buried. And this is so important because the wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 Jesus suffers and dies in our place for us. He doesn't have a substitute die in his place. He is our substitute who dies in our place. Isaiah 53, we know this. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. We deserve the wounding. We deserve to be crushed because of our sin. We deserve the punishment and curse of God because of our transgressions. But Jesus, and suf- Jesus suffered and, and died in our place. His suffering and sacrifice was for us as our substitute. This is the table this is this bread is my body for you it 's broken for you. This cup is my blood poured out for you it's it 's for you, and it 's not just for you privately or individually it's it, it, yes, the suffering of and the sacrifice of Jesus it individually reconciles you to God by faith, and so we are saved. Uh, one by one, in that sense, but it is also for us it 's you plural it' it purchases a people, it creates a church, and this is why as, as 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 the elders are being exhorted in Acts chapter twenty, the ephesian elders and, and, <coughs> and there 's this warning: take care to care for the Church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church, this community of believers in Christ, is, it's, it's, it's obtained, purchased, bought by the blood of Christ. And we, are, we are not just bought individually, but we are bought to be brought together in fellowship with one another in the church. Different backgrounds, different stories, different struggles, different hopes. We are not, but we are all here together with this common confession, and, and we are made trophies of the grace of God Together. Blood bought church standing not not on our own righteousness and on the merits of our own obedience. We've 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 done nothing to earn it. There's no goodness to be boasted in. Our collective boast is Christ. It's Christ. So his suffering was for us. And then the second thing I would say, as we sit under this, is is, is his suffering and sacrifice was enough. It was enough. Jesus didn't suffer and sacrifice himself to give us a good start in dealing with our sin before God. He didn't do most of the atoning work, leaving the last little bit of us for us to kind of finish up. No, what does he say? It is finished. It is finished. Jesus has paid it all. Everything necessary to atone for sin, to reconcile us to God is, is that, that, that needs to be done, has been done by Christ. So we can, we, can, we can rest, we can trust in Him alone. We can be assured in Christ. And when we really see, as we really see Christ who suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried, we really can own Paul's words that when he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because again it's finished what assurance what security what what's what confidence and hope that gives us our standing before god is not made more or less secure by our moral or religious performance it cannot be it is made secure by the suffering and sacrifice of jesus in our place and it is enough it is enough but from that place of security from that place of security we can resist sin like never before the sin that caused our Lord to have to endure that we should loathe knowing what it costs to make atonement for it the more we grasp the greatness and the completeness of God's grace towards us in Christ the more resolutely we will strive to put sin to death in our lives so we can be honest about our sin we don't have to hide it we don't, have to, we don't have to play the part of the hypocrite. We don't have to paint over it in prettier colors. We don't have to say it's not that big of a deal. No, we can own it. And we can rest, though, in the grace that is desires in Jesus Christ as we turn from it.